I'll give it just a minute before we get started into today's sermon, but as I was back there uh, getting like into worship and singing, I looked out and I'm like, man, like that phrase preaching to the choir, I'm like, do I really need to be up here like sharing a message with everybody here? Like I just look at you guys and everybody here is just so solid in, in their faith and walk with Christ and it's encouraging to see all that, and, uh, but at the same time it's a little intimidating, like I could bring a message to these guys, they're all like so in tune with Christ, but um, it's good to see you guys all here, and I'm excited to share God's Word with you, and, and I do hope that you get a little something out of it today. Maybe you get that uh, Pastor Nick's crazy, but who knows. But anyways, so we're going to be in uh, Acts chapter 6, 8 through 15. Before we get reading into that, I'm going to open us up in prayer, so if you'll bow your heads and pray with me. Um, Father God, thank you for today, and I just thank you for your amazing grace, God, and all the people that are here today gathered, God, just to, to worship you, God, to hear a message. And I pray, God, that you would just uh, speak in and through me, God, that your Holy Spirit would fill me up and that people would, uh, that, that are here would just see you more clearly and just want to keep engaging in that relationship that they have with you, God. And we say these things in Jesus' name. So Acts chapter 6, and we're going to go through verses 8 through 15. So I'll give you a minute um, to open up your Bible app or your Bible or whatever it is you're using. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one under your seat. Sorry, I just spotted the camera in a new place. And I'm like, hey, what's up? <laughs> but it's going to be on the board. Sorry. It's going to be on the board there. So, verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alex, Alexandrians, and of those from Sicilia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up fault witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, at him all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So as we get going into the sermon today, um, I asked uh, both Tony and Chris and my wife and Jen, I asked for some honest feedback when I'm giving, uh, a, you know, delivering a sermon. And that was kind of scary, but it was good. It was some good insight. And so Tony, um, when I asked his, for his insight and some honest feedback, he said, you need to slow down. And I was like, I know, I get excited, and I talk really fast, and I burn through all my notes, and I get done. I'm like, oh, well, that was short and sweet. And uh, so he said, you need to slow down. Um, he said, you, you, you'll make some good points, but you don't, don't give things time to, like, settle in. He's like, you, you'll say something, and it hits me, and then you're already on to the next point. And, and so then my wife was like, yeah, that, yeah, slow down. That's a good point that Tony's making to slow down. He says, you need to move with intention in your sermon. And so I kind of stop apologizing for taking a drink or coughing or stuff like that. But there's kind of intention behind everything. And even as like I'm pacing back and forth, I'm like, okay, I'm going to move with intention today. I'm going to slow down. But uh, so um, that's my, my hope for today, that I can slow down, I can move with intention, and just kind of walk through this sermon with you guys. And this, this, when my wife said that move with intention, it stuck out to me. 
And something that she picked up when she did her yoga training, um, she did 100 hours uh, a couple summers ago, and then last summer she did another 100-hour yoga training. Uh, so she's got her 200-hour certification saying that she is a yogi. <laughs> so uh, it, it's a term that she picked up uh, as she was at her training and, and moving with intention. And so I started, like, it just stuck with me. And I'm like, man, that just, it, it hit to the core. And I thought, what is moving inten- with intention? And I asked her, in terms of the yoga practice, like to explain to me what moving with intention is. So I'm going to do my best, and I hope we just had the conversation yesterday. I hope I communicate well what she said to me. Um, and if not, ask her. <laughs> but, so we talked about moving with intention. And this term that comes up a lot, a lot of times is getting grounded. And so things that kind of get me grounded and focused is worship music, playing music, um, stuff like that, getting grounded, and envisioning the outcome. So when you're moving with intention, you're kind of envisioning the outcome of what is happening, or, you know, what what could be. And so she explained to me in her teaching and what she does in their classroom, and she she took, like, a simple greeting, and I haven't, like, I haven't directly seen the effects of what she's talking about, but I could see how it would affect the way she teaches in her classroom in yoga. So when it started, she said, which is simply going to the, the, the front door or, or the entrance into the yoga classroom. And this just simple greeting, greeting every person that came in, like it just kind of spoke to them as they were coming in, like, I'm here for you. So she, she kind of took it from where she was just kind of in the classroom hanging out or getting things ready before um, her practice. I almost said sermon. Uh, I'm doing the sermon. She teaches yoga. Um, but... Uh, as she, she took it from doing that to just simply moving with intention to being at the front door and greeting people and giving that sense of like, hey, here I am to be there for you. And, and she, she talked about like how it kind of changed the dynamics of the classroom. People were more comfortable in moving in their body and doing those things that, you know, yoga requires you to do. And like I, just that simple thing from a teacher's standpoint of what she did. And now we're going to talk about like yoga practice itself, going through the moment, uh, movements and everything that you do in there and, and why you go from pose to pose and, and the way it's all structured out. Now maybe some of you start squirming like, isn't yoga like an Eastern religion like type thing that, you know, isn't really God-centered or Christ-centered? But I think in, in, when I look at yoga itself, I think it's somewhere where somebody took a good thing, made it a God thing, and it became a, a bad thing, you know, in that sense of religion. And they take like how the sequence that takes you from awareness of mind to your body and made it into like a whole religious practice because it's so much like when I look at the movements and how it all kind of goes through everything, like this gift that God has given us in our bodies and how our bodies work, like that's a beautiful thing that God gave us. And so it's, it's not just a religion and we're kind of taking, you know, my wife teaches yoga and she takes all the, this is going to sound bad, all the weirdness out of it. You know, we don't say namaste, like, I'm not divine. My divine doesn't bow down to the divine in you because I'm not divine. So we, she, at the end of class, she speaks peace, and, and uh, she takes a lot of that Eastern religious stuff out of it. No chants, no weird stuff. But in the movements, like I said, there's intentionality in the way you move from pose to pose, pose and each sequence has a purpose. And like as you're moving, part of that moving with intention Sometimes when you're, you're going through the, the, the poses, you're going to fall. 
And it's all part of this process. And as you're moving with intention, like even like recognizing that, that learning to fall is part of moving in, with intention. And then my wife explained to me yesterday how it kind of points to like Jesus. And the, the, in yoga, like you learn from when you fall. You learn from the past of things. And in this relationship with Jesus, like we have our ups and downs. Like I have times in my yoga practice where I'm like on point. I feel good. All my poses look crisp and clean. I'm feeling it. And there's times like where I can't even finish class because there's so much other like trash going on in my head. And it's like that with my relationship with Jesus. Like there's times when I am just in focus. I'm reading God's word. I'm meditating. I'm feeling it. And then there's times when it's just like, I feel like it's empty, that I'm lost, that there's nobody there, that, that I don't know what I'm doing. And, and so it kind of like that yoga practice is very similar into my relationship with Jesus. So now we're going to talk a little bit about um, like that more moving with intention. I'm going to show you a little bit of how God moves with intention. So uh, Genesis 1.1, I didn't pull it up on the board um, if you want to pull it up in your Bible or Bible app, Genesis 1.1, we're going to talk, show, start sh- showing how God simply in, in like moves with intention through things. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So already like in this short sentence in the very first verse of the very first book of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and we already can see like some moving movement with intention in creation. The second verse says, earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So now like I think about this creation, and, and God's putting it all into place, and like after all six days of creation and then the day of rest. So now let's take a look at creation itself and show like how God moves with intention and all that. So one thing, like when God created the heavens and the earth, and we're going to take a look at space. Now our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, um, I hope this is right and I found my facts from a good, reliable source, but it says it takes 200 million years for our galaxy just to make one rotation. That's just the Milky Way galaxy that we live in. And there are over one billion galaxies out there that God created. So in this complex sea of spinning stars, they seem to function remarkably well in order and with efficiency. And it just seems to me like there's no way that that could have just like appeared. Like that it just, there was nothing and, and to think that it just came, like, with no creator or nothing, like, to me that takes more faith, like, to believe in nothing than it does to believe in something. So, this biblical view of creation is not in conflict with, like, what science says, but it becomes in conflict with what science says when the worldview, uh, scientific worldview, is that there's a claim that there is no creator. So these two kind of go perfectly hand in hand, and we see God uh, moving with intention in the very first book of the Bible, in those very first two verses, that he's creative. He took all this, all you, all this, and he's creative, and it's beautiful and wonderful. He is the creator distinct from everything here. 
He is eternal. There was nothing before him. God was there in the beginning. And and, uh, verse 28, God values us. He blessed us and he chose to create us. So we see how he moved with intention. Like we can just see the intentionality in those very, very first few verses of like just recognizing God as the creator. And he puts things in order and he, he has a purpose and intention behind everything that he does. So now we're going to fast forward. It's going to be a fast forward, but a jump back because I preached on it a couple weeks ago. And so it's going to be a fast forward in time and a jump back for us. But back to Moses and the Red Sea. Because we all know the the story of Moses and how he came to be. And the Pharaoh, uh, the new Pharaoh took over, you know, as before Moses' birth. um, And he didn't know, like, he was getting fearful of the Israelites. The Israelites were growing in number. And he told all the... What the heck are they called? My, I got a brain fart. But he told, like, basically, when a boy's born, we're going to kill all the boys. So this happens, and Moses' mom was able to raise him, and then she turns him and places him in the bushes on the banks of the Nile, and he's found by Pharaoh's daughter, and she raises Moses. So all this time goes by. And we're going to fast forward now back to the Red Sea and kind of how God, we can see how God is moving with intentionality through, uh, you know, Israel growing. He's going to kill the boys and all these events are happening. God has a hand in it all. And we fast forward to Moses leading the charge out of Egypt, leading the way out of Egypt. And as, as the plagues happen and they're, they're set free and Pharaoh to, to kicks them out and tells them to get out of here, um, he then like he begins chasing them and God leads them kind of on a road less traveled. And I was listening to this um, in my truck the other day when I was, I think I was driving to Colorado, and it just struck out to me because when I was going through this a few weeks ago when I preached, I didn't realize this, but God led them like a, another way, like a road less traveled when they left. He, he led them to avoid the Philistines and, and what could happen through there and led them to, like right to the Red Sea where we get to see this big miracle happen. So like when you take things in the context and the whole narrative and the moving with intentionality, like they don't see at that time how taking that road less traveled is, is like a good idea, but God has like all the steps in place. Like he's going to show them this huge miracle when he gets to the Red Sea. And God moves with purpose and intention. So now that we kind of see like what it means and what it looks like when God moves with purpose and intention, um, we're going to do a quick recap of what we've gone over the last few weeks. So Chris, he brought the message uh, before we did our football Sunday, and we learned that the apostles arrested, and they're arrested again, and they're beaten, and they're told to stop sharing Christ with others. They're told that, like, hey, shut up, basically. No more of this Jesus talk, and we're introduced to a character named Gamaliel who tells them, uh, like, hey, let's just, it'll fizzle out, it'll die out, it's, it's all good. No need to worry about these guys. Remember those one guys, they had like 400, now everything's all died out. It's, it's, it's all going to die out if it's not from God. So all this happens, and they get rested and beaten, and they get sent back out, and they're rejoicing. They're rejoicing in the sufferings that they had and rejoicing that they got beaten and it was all for Christ's name and they're like excited and happy about it and they go on preaching the gospel. And then verse 6, or sorry, my bad. Chapter 6, verse 1, right after this happens, says that the disciples were increasing in number. 
And like right after those events of all that happening, it's like when, when they were arrested, when they were beaten, it was like all that's going on and God's like, like the bow's being like drop, drop back, drawn back. And they get arrested and beaten and they get sent back out and they go on rejoicing and phew, just let's go of the arrow. And that arrow flies and the number of disciples increases in number. So I love that, like how God lined everything up and everything was happening for a reason and it just like launched the church into like existence after that. And so verses 1 through 7, um, it, it's kind of the makeup of, of the first church business meeting. So as you know, we have our governing board, and that's kind of like our business, church business meetings. We discuss finances and, and stuff like that. And so they had their first church business meeting uh, that happens starting in verse 1 through 7. And what's going on is they have some Hellenists, some Greek-speaking Jews that are getting neglected, and they're not, they're not getting taken care of, and there's widows that aren't getting taken care of. So uh, the apostles decide that they're not gonna, like, they need to keep on preaching. Like, this is what God's called them to do, and they need to keep on preaching. And they, they, they tell the, the disciples there, that are all there with them, that to pick out among you seven men of good repute. And I thought this was interesting. Um, that like they announced the need that somebody needs to take care of these. And they discussed among themselves, like, hey, let's pick out seven guys and figured out who would be uh, kind of who they had in mind for that. It says pick out seven men of good repute. And good repute is, you know, they wanted somebody that was going to protect the holiness of what's going on, protect the community, and to safeguard against all the partiality, so no more neglecting of, of other people going on. And it's very similar to, like, to the qualifications and elders and deacons that we find in First Timothy. So they, they pick out among seven of the, there are seven men, and they pray over the men, and they're appointed at, for this task. And Stephen is chosen as one of seven, and he, they were, they, he was one of them that were set apart. And when this happened, um, the word of God continued to, uh, to, was continued to be preached, and the disciples were multiplied greatly. And I think it's interesting to even note that in like, this task of what was going on, it says in the end that the, 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 there were even priests that were saved that came uh, to, to follow Christ in this. So even some of these religious leaders were saved in this, uh, what's the word? I can't think of the word, but in, in this, you know, being obedient of, of what they're called to do. So now, that brings us to Stephen and a little bit more um, of verses uh, 8 through 15. So what do we know about Stephen? This is our, our first intro of who Stephen is. What do we know about Stephen from reading uh, the text about him? He was full of grace and power. Stephen was full of grace and power. And that power that we learned uh, a while ago comes from the Holy Spirit. So he's full of grace and power. And we also read that he was a great administrator in the distri distribution and care. But not only that... He was a great speaker. So we find that out when we read the text. He was a, good spe a great speaker in sharing the word of God. Like as he's going about and 
doing the tables, cleaning the tables, serving the widows, whatever it is. I don't know what the job looked like. If you've seen the Bible series, they kind of give you an idea. Like he was, a, he was waiting tables and cleaning tables and, and doing all that and, and wiping tables down. But even in this like, seemingly what we might think is a small task, like God uses him profoundly and greatly and just has a purpose and intention behind placing him in that position. So as we go on and read, there are people that weren't happy with him. There are people that didn't like what he was saying. There are people that didn't like what he was doing. All the wonders and signs that it talks about and his, the grace and the power that he has and the whole in his spirit. And they, they begin a debate, a dispute with Stephen. And when you read those verses, like it says that none could hold their own against what he had to say. Why could nobody hold their own against what he had to say? Verse 10 says, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. He had the Holy Spirit living inside of him. He was preaching the word of God led by the Holy Spirit. And I'll say this, in their defense, they didn't stand a chance. Stephen had an unfair advantage called the Holy Spirit over them, something they did not have. So what happened next um, when we read on, is that they, they instigated some people to lie. They instigated people to lie, which led Stephen to being taken in front of the high priests. And I'm not sure if he was arrested or if they were just like grabbing him, like, let's go, we're going to go get this settled right now. Um, it, it, it says that they take, took him in front of the high priests. And so as he's there in front of the high priest, some false witnesses come forward. And this, does this sound familiar? Like it should sound familiar. I hope it sounds familiar. And they start spreading these lies about Stephen. And they're saying all these things. And the, like, towards the end of the, I think it's verse 15, like, they say what is going on, the lies about him. And everybody's stare, like, they're staring at him. And it says, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like that of the face of an angel. Did I read that right? Yeah, face of an angel. And I thought about this face of an angel. And I thought about like when, when we use somebody has the face of an angel. It's like a really beautiful person. It's, a, it's like you see a little baby and, oh, they got a face of an angel or, you know, whatever it might be and how we use this phrase. But I think what was happening here, like it wasn't like that they thought Stephen was cute. And this, you know, they, they embrace like, oh man, he's good looking. Look at that guy. But I think about this face of an angel. And when you go back and look at the Old Testament and when God comes down and, or Moses sees the glory of God, gets to see the backside like of God passing by him, Moses' face glows. And I think about, I don't know for sure it doesn't say, but I think maybe that the glory of God might have been shining through. Does it? <laughs> so, you know, his, his, his face was shining, uh, and, and, and like, my reasoning is like, well, when this happens, this happens, this happens, like, that's the glory of God. Like, he saw the glory of God, and, and it was shining uh, through him. And so, what happens next, uh, I didn't pull the passage up, because we'd have to read all of chapter 7, and it's super long, so I'm going to do my best to summarize it and tell the whole story, and I hope that I do justice for it. So the high priest basically asked him, like, what do you have to say 
Are these things they say about you, are they true? So they question him. They question his, you know, what, he, what he's been saying. They question, you know, basically questioning the spirit that's inside of him. They wonder what's going on. And they, Stephen, Stephen answers, and it's not like he gives like this short little one word answer, but Stephen launch, launches into a history lesson. He launches into this big elaborate history lesson of the Old Testament, and he talks about Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, David, Solomon, and he goes through this whole big long history lesson talking to the, the high priests, and, and, and he explains to them how at times all these men were rejected. All these men were rejected, rejected by the people that they were called to lead. And Stephen then, he goes on to call them out in verse 51 and 53. And he's got, uh, he's got the Holy Spirit in him and he calls them out. And just the courage that he has when he says this. And he says this, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Now before I continue on, I think about like the anguish that Stephen must have felt. I think like just reading that right now, if I was sitting there like, like I, I almost got like started choking up, like not that he's angry with them, but his heart breaks for them. His heart breaks for them. We'll get to see why his heart broke for him and evidence that his heart broke for them. But he says, you stiff-necked people uncircumcised in heart, like a cry, like, come on, let's do this. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. Whom you, now, or whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. You ever had somebody tell you a hard truth? You ever been convicted by somebody, God speaking through somebody else? Man, it does not feel good. And here he is telling the truth, like you're the one that killed him. I'm the one that killed my sins, whom you killed, and like you, you're, you're still neglecting it. And his heart breaks, and what happens next is troubles. Troubles for Stephen. Like, I, I know a lot of times when we think we speak the truth to somebody and we think we're doing good, we think it's going to go one way, and God's like, man, guess what? I've got other plans for you. But this was trouble for Stephen. And it says they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. And like, I think we all got, most of us have kids here. You guys ever talk through your teeth at your kids? <laughs> like that's when it gets like, oh man. <laughs> like that's kind of what I pictured going on. He just gets done calling them out. And they're sitting there and they're enraged. And they're like, oh my goodness. Have you heard any sonny that's going to sniff that people? And so they get enraged. And as they're like getting enraged and they're grinding their teeth at him, Stephen's standing there, and he gets done with his whole message, and he looks up. Lo and behold, what does he see? He's filled with the Spirit. He sees the glory of God. And there, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. 
And he, he tells them, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And the opposition cries out. The, the priests and everybody, they get even more angry. And the Bible says that they stopped their ears. Like, stopping you. Yeah, crazy, huh? It says they stopped their ears. And like just that illustration of just like you're listening, you're listening, you hear what he said about you being a stiff-necked person, and then all of a sudden it's just like, bloop, like there goes the off switch. They're not listening anymore. They're done listening. They completely turned off their ears. They have, there's no, like, I know when I get so angry and mad at my kids or my wife or somebody else, I, I, I'm, I'm known to stop my ears. And like all rationale and all, like everything goes out the door. And it's just getting, you know, crazy Nick. I call it uh, Bob mode. <laughs> He's, my, my dad's not here to defend himself, but I call it Bob mode. Yeah, tell dad sorry. He'll, he can listen back later. But yeah, so I stop my ears and, I, I, or, and my dad calls it gooning out. I guess it's gooning out. That's a, that's a teeny phrase that we're, we're good at doing, gooning out. And just I'll... I'll all reason and everything goes out the door. And uh, so what happens is the opposition cries out. They do this, and they rush him. They rush him. They go after him, and they cast him out of the city. And they pick up stones, and they start throwing them. Bah! And they're stoning him. They're, they're going to they're gonna kill Stephen. And they, they end up stoning him to death. And while this is happening, while he's getting stoned, the whole time he's focused on Jesus. And just as he's about to die, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep and he died. Now that all sounds familiar, doesn't it? That also sounds familiar of somebody that we know that a similar thing happened to. So now what? Now what? Now that Stephen was stoned and this has happened, now what? <laughs> what does this do for the church? How can we see how God moves through this death and how he's moving with intention when like one of his beloved, somebody that he values, was just killed? What does this do for the church? So now we're going to walk through kind of the, all, the, all the things that took place to get to this point and how God moved with intention and purpose. So after the death and resurrection of Christ, we see that he promises the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to give you this helper. And the Holy Spirit comes and there's the tongues of fire and people are, are saved and all this goodness is going on. And, and in the midst of the tongues of fire, somebody tells them they're drunk. The first sign of opposition. And, and then we go on from there when, as the story continues on, the apostles were arrested and beaten and they're rejoicing for Christ's sake. And when that arresting and that beating takes place, the rejoicing happens and it leads to more disciples being made. And in the midst of that, somewhere, somewhere Stephen comes to Christ. Somewhere Stephen is made known of Jesus and what he did, and he enters into a relationship with Christ. So in the midst of that, that happens, and then we get into the event of our first church business meeting like we talked about a little while ago. 
And in that first church business meeting, Stephen was appointed and set apart. He's full of wisdom. He's full of the Holy Spirit. And he's, he's like put in a position that God wants him to be in. And in that position, he meets opposition and he continues to proclaim Jesus whom you betrayed and who you murdered. So all these things are happening and it leads to his very own death. Where Stephen is stoned to death all the while looking to Jesus the whole time. And once again, death looked like it had won. Once again, death looked like it had proclaimed victory and the church was going to die like Gamaliel said. Once again, death looked like it had won, yet here we are today. Got it, Chris. Nailed it. <laughs> yet here we are. Now, as we look at all those actions, can you see how God is moving with intention in all that? Even using people's sin and brokenness, God says, I have a plan. And you think you like, shot, like, blocked the first arrow from coming, like, here's Stephen's death. Boom! Just launches the church into action again. And so I'm going to break off a moment. We're going to talk about death for a minute. And what the Bible says about death and how God used this. So the Bible talks about death is an enemy. 1 Corinthians 15, 25, and 6. If you've got your Bible or your Bible app, go ahead and uh, open it up. And uh, I'll give you a moment. 1 Corinthians 15, 25, and 26. And it says, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is an enemy. Romans 5.12. I'll give you a minute to turn to Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So death is an enemy. But here's the good news. Death is a conquered enemy. 1 Corinthians, we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians 15. Flip your Bible there. 54 through 57. I'm going to get a mic set up so I can hear people clicking on their Bible app too when they get there. Click, 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 click. <laughs> When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death is defeated. Romans eight thirty-five through 39 Romans 8, 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress 
or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. the song we're going to sing it uh, again today i don't remember the last time we sang it i feel like i played it a lot lately but it's the song death was arrested and death is like bound in chains it has no hold over us anymore when jesus took on the cross he took on death and he conquered it we don't have to live in fear of death we don't have to be a slave to death but jesus conquered it all So now let's, we're going we're gonna to come back to where we were with moving intention and with Stephen now that we talked about all that. And when God was moving with intention through all this, Stephen laid it all out. He put it all on the line. And, and when he was laying it all out, he doesn't, like, the gospel doesn't destroy or disregard what the Old Testament and Moses were saying like the religious believers believe, the religious leaders believed. Jesus fulfilled it all. Jesus fulfilled all that the Old Testament was about. In the Old Testament, God dwelled in the tabernacle. And when Jesus came, he, God dwelled in Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. In the Old Testament, God has a concern for justice and a love for the weak and oppressed. And God brought good news to the poor, sight to the blind, and liberty to the oppressed all through Christ Jesus. In the Old Testament... God brought life out of death. And now, now we have this new life. In, and I think of this, the, the song, Death Was Arrested Again. We have this new life when Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. That we are no longer captives. We are no longer slaves. That when Jesus rose from death, he had our freedom in hand. And we can trust in that and walk in that. So some final takeaways about how God moves with intention. And God is in control. Nothing surprises him. Nothing, he, he's not like baffled by what's going on or our actions. God is in control. And I think about the last, uh, you know, 10 months of what's been happening in our little church and, and what's going on. And I see these small victories of reminders of that God's in control. Ten months ago, I didn't know if the church doors would be open. I didn't know if we'd still be here. I wasn't sure what to do or what God had in plan, but nothing surprised him. And a few weeks ago, we celebrated that five people got baptized. It's like, holy cow. Okay, God, I see what you're doing. God is in control. And God grabbed my attention in that. And then this reminder of God, you know, God is eternal. While, we, while, I, while I get stuck in the here and now and what's happening, God sees the whole picture. He's got it all in mind and he, he knows what's going to happen. God is just and he will make things right. And it's been hard, but God just continues to grow me in what's going on. And he is just. He's in control. He's eternal. He sees the whole picture. And lastly, like God is going to use 
you. God's going to use you. God's going to use you. God's going to use us all. And I hear this phrase like, hey, when I invite people to church, and they think they're too bad for church. Oh, man, if I, if I walk in that church, then walls are going to crumble, and, and they're going to fall down. They're going to crack. The building's going to get set on fire. But I'm sorry, but my sin is not bigger than God's grace, and neither is yours. So that's how like, God moves through intention with all this. And my last like, final takeaway that I want to point out in just a total geek out moment um, is in, man, I forgot to print my verses up, but in uh, the death of, I almost said Timothy, Stephen, <laughs> thank you. In the death of Timothy, <laughs> in the death of Stephen, like God is already like placing things in place. We've been introduced to who Gamaliel is. And then I love this, this total geek out moment. We're introduced to Saul. And next week we're going to talk a little bit more about Saul. And I just love in, in everything that's going on, God's like, and they came over and they were laying their robes down at Saul's feet. And it's like, why does it matter that they're laying their stuff down at Saul's feet? But God has already got things planned out. He's moving with intention. Even through his word, he's showing us like, I got this. So that was just fun like fact geek out moment that I had when I was like, whoa, whoa, he is moving, look at him go. So it, it, was, it was neat to see. And uh, let's pray and then let's, uh, let's worship some more. Father God, thank you for today, God. And again, I just thank you for everybody that was here. And I just pray, God, as we go about our, our like, daily lives, God, that we would emulate who you are, God, that we'd show people who you are, that we would uh, live in a way that shows the light of Christ, God, and that people would come to know you. I pray for our city, God, that, that people would be drawn into you, God, that people would want to have a relationship with you, God, and that we could be a light to our city, God. And I say these things in Jesus' name. We can get our... Uh...